Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, Friday, July 16th. Hope everybody is having a great week. Tiger Illustrated, we are down to the top 15 in our much-discussed and debated ranking of the top 25 players on Clemson's roster. Quite a lot of opinions out there, which is, that that's great. That is what the message board is for. That is what college football is all about. So more than happy to be told that the rankings aren't worth a darn. <laughs> anyway, that's only only a few people. And again, just messing. No problem whatsoever. Go to TigerIllustrated.com to both take part in the discussion on our message board and also to watch as the final 14 unfold. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Green Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a Total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, to our conversation, longtime friend, longtime newspaper guy, Andrew Miller of the Charleston Post and Courier. He's been around a long time, much longer than I have. Really interesting thoughts and insights on both his coverage of Clemson over the years and also on just the newspaper industry in general. Andrew, always a fun and engaging person to talk to. This conversation, certainly no exception. A lot of fun here. Here we go. Enjoy. Okay, joined by longtime friend and colleague, peer, I don't know whatever else, whatever other words there are, uh, terms, but how you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Larry. All right. So I heard, I guess a month ago, yeah, Andrew Miller is a news reporter now, and I was <laughs> stunned, and I'm like, I that sounds like a good podcast to talk about uh that move and also sort of the evolution of newspapers and some of the you know the difficulties and just the how you know newspapers are adapting family-owned versus corporate all that stuff so you've been you're 57 years old is that right that is correct and you look like you're 35 which i hate well, um, well thank you thank you very much i appreciate that i'm the one who looks more like 57 uh, <laughs> and you you have a full head of brown hair so uh, really jealous, but I, I was gonna say there is some gray coming in, but yeah, uh, yeah, but, but it's okay, it's 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 all right. Um, so, well, uh, first, clean, clean living, I guess. I was gonna say, clean living, <laughs> I guess, on my part, but yeah. So, man, I, I guess I don't know where to start, but I guess we can start 
with um, the fact that you covered Clemson a long time ago. Um, and you, I guess when they hired me in 04, I w- they wanted to have somebody living here. You being, um, I guess some, some would say smart said, <laughs> I'm not moving to Clemson. I'm, I like where I live in Charleston. Uh, and I moved from Augusta to Clemson and I'm just curious. I mean, you got a lot of institutional knowledge, um, had a good relationship with Tommy Bowden, I think. Yep. And a lot of mileage up and down I-26 and, and 85 to and from Clemson. I just, I'm rambling here, but I just made the drive down to Seabrook on Monday to drop one of my daughters off at, uh, at Camp St. Christopher and turned around and came right back. And it just, oh, it, it, it was misery. And I'm thinking, man, Gene Sapikoff nowadays and Andrew Miller way back in the day would do this multiple times a week, which is just a week. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, this is kind of the story that I tell, I guess Tommy West, I, I covered the last two seasons of Tommy West and I wanted to say the first six of Tommy Bowden, but I think there was only five of Tommy Bowden. The last game as the Clemson beat writer that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I covered was the win over a top 10 Tennessee team in the Peach Bowl. I think it was still called the Peach Bowl back then. And I think that was 03, if, if, if I'm yep. not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But that was that was my last quote-unquote official act as, as the Clemson beat writer. But uh, what is uh, not strange, but how I got the job was that the two previous guys, Jeff Hartzell and Gene Sapikoff, who'd been the beat writers, uh, the Clemson beat writers out of the, out of the Charleston Post and Courier, had both gotten divorces. Um, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to split the beat up. They wanted to have one guy cover basketball and one guy cover football. And they asked me, uh, but they really didn't give me a choice. They said, uh, Hey, you're the Clemson beat writer, and I've grown up in North Carolina, so I've been an ACC fan. My, you know, we moved there when I was ten from Chicago, so I'd grown up in ACC, you know, fan my pretty much my whole life, and so I knew a lot about the the conference, and I wanted to cover Clemson for the, for that reason. Um, and Malcolm DeWitt, who was our both our bosses back in the day, he said, "You're the new Clemson beat writer," and I was, you know, pumping a fist. And then he goes, "Hey, what do you know about hockey?" And I went, "I'm pretty sure it's played on ice." And he <laughs> said, "Good, you're our Stingrays writer too." So I covered the minor league ECHL team as well. And at first, I I didn't want it, I didn't like it because I'd really been an ACC basketball fan because I, you know, played basketball in high well, but put it this way, I'd been on a team uh, playing high school basketball. I wasn't very good at it, but, um, you know, so I wanted to cover basketball because that's kind of what I'd really grown up loving my whole life, uh, especially ACC basketball. And uh, so I didn't want to do the hockey, but ended up loving hockey uh, uh, all the same. But yeah, so I, I did Clemson for, I guess, seven years, eight years. It was some interesting times uh, back in the day. Uh, Tommy Bowden, um, I, I, the one thing I do remember is the year, and I can't remember the exact year, but the year that they went nine and four, they ended up beating South Carolina 63 to 17 at Williams Bryce stadium. They had played wake forest on a Thursday night. And as we're walking down from the press box and already been determined that I, I was going to be that you were coming in or, or somebody was coming in. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they asked me, the guys on the beat, this is how, this is how they throw you under the bus. They go, Hey, Andrew, you need to, we want you to ask 
tell him if he's going to, if he thinks he's going to get fired. So I, you know, cause, cause they played Wake Forest. It was on, I think they got beat like 45 to 17. It was a pretty bad loss and it was on national TV. And so the guys in the beat didn't want to ask the question because they didn't want to have him mad at him. So they got me to do it because I was a short timer. So that's one of the things I remember about, about that season. But yeah, it was, all those trips up and down I twenty six, I can tell you every exit, every gas station, every rest area where they what what number they're on. I, we did that probably once or twice a week during football season, and yeah, I, I was determined not to get divorced. And thankfully, uh, I said my wife and I celebrated our thirty first wedding anniversary uh, last month, so uh, everything has worked out. Congratulations! Now you said I'm certainly not prying into uh, the personal information of of Hartzell and. Sapikov, but you said you were, they wanted to, you, you got put on that because they got divorces. I mean, generally speaking, was it life on the road all the time? Like, was that sort of, hey, well, these guys are just too, it's cost them too much, like to be well, gone all well, the time? Like, or? Well, well, like I said, when Malcolm told me about the transition, because I'd been covering, you know, I started covering high schools and I covered the Citadel for four or five years. And, and one of the reasons he said that they were, I don't know if it was the main reason, but one of the reasons that it was mentioned to me that I was going to, that they wanted to ship me to the beat was because, um, that, that those guys had got, had divorces. And then mm-hmm. one of the, one of the problems, not you know, problems, um, one of the issues had been that they were away so long. I mean, cause if you think about it, every home game is an away game for us, yeah. but back, cause we did, we did not live locally and, they didn't, they, when the job came, when the decision came that they wanted to move somebody to Clemson, <clears throat> I was told we want to offer you the job, but we don't want to take you to take it. And it was because you know, my wife, Betsy, who was uh, a very talented editor and designer. They didn't want to lose her. They didn't want her to move up with me. And so they kind of offered me the job, but they kind of didn't want me to take it, if that makes any sense. Because yeah. they didn't want to lose her. And, you know, and I, yeah, I've always said I've, I've rode my wife's uh, skirt tails all the way up the, uh, the chain in, 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 in the sports beat world. So, yeah, and then they didn't want to lose her. And then you came in, and, and I thought that was a great move because we did need to, you know, the internet was just coming, you know, online then, quote unquote, and it was becoming a bigger and bigger, you know, issue is not the right word, but it was coming a bigger, bigger factor within the media business. And we needed somebody there locally. There was no doubt about it. And let me tell you what, driving up and back, it's an eight hour drive. It is just, it is brutal. If you do that in a day and I did it a, a bunch of times, it's just, you just, you, know, you need another day after that just to recover from it. I remember, man, it was probably my first month up here and I was at, I was at the, the basketball team was playing at Duke and like two hours before the game, I get a call from you, my new colleague. And you said, Hey, I got a tip that Tommy Bowden has made some big changes to his staff. I want to say fired. Well, they, they, re, they, they reshuffled. I think Brad Scott went to offensive line, I guess. Yeah. yeah Cause he was the offensive coordinator yeah, Brad's got the offensive line, and Ron West, I think, went to the defensive side. Maybe uh, a couple of other changes, and so then I'm like, you know, I don't have any connections really yet. 
And so I'm trying to get that confirmed. And I called one of the assistant coaches who I had met literally like a week before and try to get him to confirm it. He, he wouldn't confirm it or deny it, I guess. And anyway, managed to break the story in part because of you, well, in large part, exclusively really because of you, I think. Um, but I remember it was, it was cast as a demotion and Brad yeah. was not happy about that. Uh, no. Yeah. And, um, anyway, an interesting sort of crash course right away, uh, you know, for a new, for the new guy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, the, I'm not the greatest writer in the world and I will, I will freely admit that, but, but I, what I think I'm pretty good at is developing relation, developing relationships and i.e., developing sources. And, you know, I think about back in the day when Tuesday media days that, that they would have up there and there'd be Bowden would come out first. You might get a player, but you get Bowden usually first and then you'd wait around and, and the players would, would come in after that. And one of the things that I love to do was walk around the assistant coach's offices. This is at McFadden. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. And and you could just walk in and sit down and talk to any assistant, Rick Rodriguez, <laughs> Reggie Herring. And I, I would just literally, I would sit down there and I would just chat with them. And I would never, ever, or I would rarely bring up football when I would do these things. I would just, hey, how's your family? How's your wife? How's your kid? Blah, blah, blah. And especially somebody like Rich Rodriguez, who I you know, had a pretty good relationship with. You know, about the same age, kids about the same age. So we would, you know, tell war stories about staying up late and having to do stuff with the kids and, you know, the wife and everything. And, and that's really how I, I developed sources and relationships with these people. And one of the funny things is Davos, I always tell this to people, Davos Sweeney's first official function as a Clemson football coach, unfortunately for him, was playing golf with me uh, <laughs> at, at one of those at one of those Tommy Bowden, you know, the, the preseason yeah. little golf outing that they had. And what was funny about that, so that, that the funny thing about that story was this: is that Tim Bray, who you and I both love, I'm assuming you love Tim Bray as much as, as yes. much as I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's the best in the business. I mean, if, if other sports information directors could just take a course from him, the world would be a better place. But anyway, back in the day, there were kind of three main beat writers um, on the beat. It was me. Uh, whoever was working at the state at the time, and then the guy at the Greenville News, and and each year uh, one of us got to play in that foursome with with Tommy Bowden, and it was kind of my year to be in that foursome. And Tim Bray calls me up and he says, "Hey Andrew, I need a huge favor from you. Can you? Um, we need you to play with somebody else." And I was thinking, "Oh, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, Reggie Herring. I can't imagine Brad Scott was the offensive coordinator that year." I just can't remember who it was. And I was like, okay, who am I getting between those? Uh, no, uh, we really, I'm going to put you with this, uh, with our new wide receivers coach. He's really young. He's a great guy. You'll love him. I promise you, you'll, you'll have a great time. And I'm like, <laughs> you're putting me with the wide receiver coach. Are you kidding me? That's the last guy I wanted to be with. So I get in the cart and, and Dabo says, says his name. And I went, Dabo? And he goes, and he said, I think he said, yeah, my brother, my brother couldn't pronounce my name when I was a kid. That's why I got the name. I was like, oh, okay. All right, fine. And, uh, and then I, and then he said, I played at Alabama. And then there was a guy from Charleston, a guy named Kurt Brown that went to St. John's high school that was supposed to go to Clemson. He was actually committed to Clemson, but I think that was a prop 48 back then in the day. And so he ended up going to Alabama, but Kurt and, and Dabo were you know wide receivers at Alabama during that national championship run. And as soon as I said Kurt Brown's name, oh, he lit up. And then I, I, I don't think I said five words the entire time <laughs> <laughs> that we were playing golf. And and I'm the worst. Larry, you know I'm the worst golfer in the world. I 
I probably average like 120 every time I play. I don't play but about once every four or five years. So, um, and and he let me know about it. But no, that that was my first experience with Dabo Sweeney, and 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 you know, we as journalists and the way the media is now, you miss those kind of relationships because you can't build them because the access to them isn't enough. Tony, uh, you know, Tony Elliott's a classic example. Tony Elliott's a guy covered in high school, covered him when he played at Clemson known him for 25 years and that's a relationship that you build with these people over that time so they trust you you trust them and you just don't get that anymore in, in the way that that media is now so and, and it's kind of sad too because i think there are a lot of stories out there that that we miss because we don't have those kind of relationships anymore yeah it's interesting because uh and i've man people who listen to this podcast regularly are going to probably not be happy that I'm repeating this again because I've I've shared <laughs> I've shared this anecdote or this observation several times in in recent months but like my first introduction to Dabo Sweeney upon his being named the head coach had current sort of norms and uh I guess restrictions existed during my first four years covering Clemson back from 04 to 08, my first introduction to him would have been, you know, after at his introductory press conference in 08 because I would not have been able to develop a... Well, I guess there's we can talk to the regular assistants once a year, so it wouldn't have been an introduction necessarily, but I would not have had a relationship with him developed yeah. through what you just said uh, back in those days. You know, the, I guess, industrious reporters would 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 go you know knock on the door walk around the offices and 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 sit and chit chat and just you know shoot the breeze which is you know like you said you didn't ask him anything about football that's a really important part i think of yeah of develop of, of 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 relationship building is making it clear that you don't always just want something from them you know no. there's give yeah. and take and like a normal relationship i guess well, well, you know, Larry, I, I don't know. The number one question I get from young reporters all the time is, "How do you develop sources?" And, and I tell them all the time that you gotta, you gotta create some relationship with them. Yes, there are boundaries between your professional and a, and a personal relationship. And well, isn't it hard to you know, write bad things about people that that you like? And and I have you know relationships with plenty of people who I have differing uh, different views politically. You know. You know, religiously, you know, whatever. Um, but you got to develop those relationships to develop those sources. And the way that the institutions and whatever, you know, the sports media institution or, you know, SIDs or whoever that you're dealing with, uh, the way that they restrict your access to these people is really, I think, hurts not only not only them, but you, because you know you can't do your job as well as you can do it. And here's a classic example of this. And uh, let me backtrack a little bit to, to the whole the whole golf outing. And this is why I love Tim Bray, because Tim Bray said, "And because you're making this sacrifice, I'm going to give you an hour, a full hour, one on one with Tommy Bowden. What? You know, over the next two weeks, as a result to make up for for what happened here. And he said, and no subjects off the table. And I got an hour with Tommy Bowden. You know that so the golf outing is like the middle of July. So I think a week or two later, I got a I got a one on one with him for for and and then I ended up lasting about an hour and fifteen minutes. So yeah, I mean that that's and that's the way you do business. I mean, and that's the way that he and I got got to know each other better. But getting back to this, so Willie Simmons 
was the starting quarterback. And again, all, all the seasons kind of run <laughs> run together to me. But Willie Simmons had been the uh, had been the been the starting quarterback, and he said, and then Charlie Whitehurst replaced him, and then I got him on the phone. I think right after he found out about that, and he said something that today would be Willie Simmons. You know, it wasn't anything terrible, but. It, you know, he's an 18, 19 year old kid. He just got benched and he said something he shouldn't have said. And I called Tim Bray afterwards and I said, Willie said, and I read him the exact quote that he said, I said, why don't you get him after practice and, and let's see if he won't change his mind. Now in today's world, I'd probably be fired over something like that. Not getting that story out there, not getting that clickbait out there. And, and to, again, so Tim got him on the phone after practice he kind of softened what he said. You know, just said, "Hey, I'm disappointed about not being the starting quarterback anymore." Blah 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 blah. And um, and so from then on, Tim went out of his way, you know, to help me out to get guys because I was four hours away, getting guys on the phone, coaches, whatever I needed. And though, again, those are the kind of things that you know nowadays. There's no way I could have gotten away with that. I if my, if Malcolm Dewitt found out that I didn't, you know write a story about what Willie Simmons said about a, a teammate, then, you know, I, I would, I would really, I would have been reprimanded. And I think that's the problem that, that sometimes reporters are so interested in getting it first. They don't care about getting it right. Or, or just, you know, toning down stuff that doesn't need to be a controversy. That's so that it's only a one day story, but you're not seeing the, the long game of, of being, developing these relationships and, and being a reporter, uh, especially a beat reporter, which let me tell you, as you know, is, is a grind. It is an absolute grind. Can you say what he said now here, 19 years? Uh, I, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I was thinking about that last night when, cause I was thinking about telling you that story. I, it was something like, I don't think that, I don't think the benching is justified. I think they're, they're picking him over me. You know, it's like all the problems on the team aren't because of me. Uh-huh. There are other problems. It was, it was kind of like he was throwing his teammates under the bus, that it, was, it, it wasn't it was about him. He was doing his job. Everyone else wasn't doing their job. I, 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 that was the general gist of, of what he said. And, you know, that's not going to play well with anybody or, or anything. And, I, and, and I've, I've been – Willie came down and played at the Citadel for a while, and, and now I guess he's a coach at Florida A&M in, in Tallahassee. And, and by all accounts, just, you know, and I dealt with him a bunch after that, a really good guy. And just, you know, when you're – 19 years old and you know you're a national figure like that you're the head you're the starting quarterback at clemson you know you're gonna say dumb things i mean i can't you know <laughs> i'm so glad there wasn't internet and 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 uh and uh, phones back in the cell phones back in the day of all the dumb stuff i did when i was in college oh yeah uh, I mean, I, I tell that people all the time, man, if there'd have been, if there'd have been smartphones back then, I'd have been in so much trouble now. I'd, I'd probably, uh, I don't know what I'd be doing, but it wouldn't be what I'm doing now. I can tell you that. So it's interesting. Early in my days as a reporter, if a, if a player tells me that or a coach, I'm running it, no questions asked. Like, yeah. hey, he said it. I don't care. I don't care yeah. about the relation. He said it. So it's newsworthy. Right. I'm running it. Right. And, you know, there was much more of an emphasis sort of, or a, I guess an interest in, hey, I, I want the story, you know, as opposed right. to, it, I guess, much more interest in the short game than the long game of, okay, what is this? How is this going to really help me long term? Will it hurt me more than it helps me? What, what what benefits do I gain if I actually work with the kid or work with the sports information director? But it seems like 
Was that something you had to learn too over time and that you acquired sort of as you had more seasoning and, and, and just got older? I think that the thing I, I never got into the business to, to hurt people. That's not the right, that's not the right way to say that. I, if the story needed to be told and I thought it was newsworthy that then breaking stories, which I thought I was you know relatively good at, especially being, you know, basically four hours away from my beat. Um, it just, it just depended. And again, Willie's and I thought all the dealings that I had up to, at that point with Willie Simmons had been positive and good. Now, the guy I didn't get along with at all, and it's so funny, Woody Dantzler was a guy that I, he and I just rubbed each other the wrong way. And even even today, I've, I've seen him in the last few years, and he and I have talked about that. And, and he talked about his mistrust of the media and, and how he thought guys were, certain guys on the beat were, were out to get him. He didn't say that I was one of them, although I. I think there was that implication there, although I can't remember anything bad about him. But you know, I don't go out looking to write bad things about people. Now, if you do something stupid, then yeah, I'm, I'm going to write about it. But I, I don't go out of my way to make people look bad. And and again, I, I took into account he's young. You know, he just again he just got benched, and uh, and why smack the kid around when you don't have to? Sure. You know what I mean? And and I and I understand that. It probably was a story, and maybe in retrospect, I probably should have written something about it. But I just think these athletes—they're human beings, you know—and they have feelings too. And and I know that on a certain level, that 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 you—and it's—I'm trying to put it into the right words. At some level, they they knew what they signed up for when they mm-hmm. came to Clemson and they became, you know, football players because they are kind of the center of attention from August until, you know, December, whenever the, whenever the season is over. So they, they know what they're dealing with. They know that they're going to be the center of attention and they know any misstep is going to be uh, amplified, you know, times a thousand, right? I mean, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, or if he did something that was stupid that, you know, can you imagine the headlines now that would be written about him? And then, and I just, I try to take that all into account and then knowing this is that that kid's going to leave in two or three years. And am I going to burn that guy? Am I going to burn him as a source or am I going to kind of maybe, maybe help him out? And, and, and that is in the end that ended up rewarding me because I think I told and I might be wrong. I'm probably wrong about this, but I knew that Willie was coming to the Citadel and somehow that word had leaked leaked down to me and I ended up telling Hartzell or maybe he got, I don't know. But anyway, he and I had a pretty good relationship and, and it it was rewarded uh, further down the road. So I always look at the, at the long game. If I know I'm going to be on a beat for a while, I'm not going to burn somebody over some small story because I want the bigger story later on. And, and Monty Lee, is the classic example of that to me. Um, a couple things happened when he was here. No, nothing major, just you know, minor little things. And I stuffed him in my pocket. And so when he, when I found out that he was going to be the head coach, head baseball coach at Clemson, well, I was able to you know be one of those guys uh-huh. who was. I don't know if I broke the story, uh-huh. but I was one of those guys. I called him up and I said, "Hey, blah blah blah," and he's like, "Yep, that's right." He goes, "Don't quote me," and I'm like, "I didn't. I didn't quote him," but you know that's kind of how the long game works for me is, is there's going to be a bigger story down the road. And because I've built this relationship with him and he can trust me and I can trust him. Um, something good will happen down the road. Now it doesn't always happen, but most of the time it does because those people trust you and you trust them. But it's still a tough line to walk between relationship and newsworthiness. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. No, there's no question about it. And there have been times, you know, Doug Wojcik at the College of Charleston, they, he, he got, you know, he got fired several years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, Doug and I, again, about the same age, kids about the same age. He and I had a, had a great relationship. I mean, he would he would call me up after I'd written a story and just commiserate with me, you know, about 30 minutes about everything I wrote. The first 10 would be, how could you write that? And then the last 20 is, this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong with my team. I can't get this guy to do this, blah, blah, blah. You know, we had a really great relationship and it, and it pained me to write stories about him, uh, about what had happened with the investigation. You know, he ended up leaving now. He's assistant coach at, at Michigan state, but you know, I had to write a real, a lot of really bad stories about him. Um, because, you know, the investigation of verbal and physical abuse, and I don't think there was, there was no physical abuse, but there was some stuff that, you know, he crossed the line and saying some things, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, wouldn't have been an issue. Now it's, it's an issue with the players that, that the way they are today. So there, there is a fine line to walk, but I hope that I haven't let that interfere with, you know, when something like that happens, I got to do my job. And, and what's kind of funny about it, not funny, but he and I, it's not as good a relationship as we had before, but we still are in, you know, communication with each other. We've seen each other, we've talked to each other afterwards. And I know he and his wife blame me for him getting fired. But what? You know, at the at the end of the day, I got to do my job. And I know, yeah, that's the way that's the way coaches are. I mean, if if you're not with them, you're you're against them. So why do they blame you? Well, because I because I wrote the things that I wrote and and broke the things that I did on on the story too. And, yeah, it's funny because it also Anthony Johnson, another guy, you know, local kid, played in Charleston, played at Stahl High School, star at the College of Charleston, 13 years in the NBA. He was going to get the job as the as the head coach, and then they did an investigation of him, and they found out that he had been um, arrested for you know domestic violence. Although those charges were dropped, they were never proven, and and AJ is not, uh, you know, he didn't do it or whatever. But they dropped him as a as a candidate for the job, and. And everybody else was reporting that he had gotten the job. And I texted AJ. I said, hey, they say you're getting the job. And he goes, hold on. I have a statement for you. And Gene Sapikoff is there. Andrew, you got to get the story out. Andrew, you got to get the story out. Andrew, you got to get the story out. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to get the story out until AJ tells me that he's got that he's the guy. And you know, all the TV stations down here were already reporting it. And sure enough, AJ didn't get the job. And he said, I have a statement. Here's my statement. And so, again, that's a, a relationship that I built over many years. And we had trust in each other and, and I trusted him that he wasn't going to you know, burn me on, on this, on this particular issue. So it, it is, it is a tight rope. Sometimes you got to write things about people that you bad things about people that you really like, but that's part of the business, unfortunately. But you, with Wojcik, you didn't make up <clears throat> no, what was going no. on. So he, he think was his position that, Hey man, we're so close that you should just not write about this. Like, Hey man, I thought he, we were boys or something like that. It, it, he was, he thought that I took on, you know, but there were things that came out in the investigation of him by uh, one of the law firms that, that kind of headed it, that he felt were unfair, that, that they weren't substantiated. And all I was doing was reporting what, what the, um, what their report said. Yeah. Um, so, so he, yes, he, but again, that's, I'm, I'm used to, <laughs> I'm, that's stuff I'm used to. And, uh, you know, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to write the story, but I got to write the story because that's what it says. You know, and I can't, there's no way to sugarcoat that. There's no way to, you know, to, to, to soften that. It, it just, it just is what it is. And, you know, there, there's no, and it's funny with logic. 
I don't know that I've met a coach that can prepare his team any better than, than the way he does. I mean, he knows the game of basketball as well as any, any person I've ever been around in basketball, but you can't, you know, I don't know that he's a head coach because of just the way he relates to the players. And that's so important today. If you, if you, they don't want to play for you, what, what good is it preparing them? You know, it's, it's just not going to do any good. So, yeah. Interesting. Uh, and another part of this is, you know, that's different now is back when Willie Simmons told you that over the phone, you had hours and hours to make a decision on that because you're writing a story yeah. for the next day's paper. Correct. Yeah, Whereas no, nowadays no, no, no. it's, it, it's, Oh, we got to, there's this pressure to, we got to get that up. Got to get that. And you're gotta saying, that. Yeah. You're, and you're saying that now you'd get into hot water for, um, basically giving him, giving him another opportunity to, to sort of revise the quote because the sensation would be, would create so many clicks if y'all wrote a story and it'd be worth something, you know, you'd, you'd, you're costing them money by, by ignoring it. Yeah. I don't know about costing them, maybe costing them money, but, but certainly the attention that the, 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 the website would have received as a result of a sensational story like that, uh, at least for the one or, you know, the 24 to 48 hour period that, that you get uh, on a story like that would have been worth it for me to do that and, and to make the kid look bad. And, and again, it just, it just wasn't worth it to me. I just didn't, I didn't see the benefit. I saw a short-term benefit, but I didn't see the long-term benefit. And I, and I think, unfortunately, the, the, the new reporters of today don't understand that it's like yeah can i get this thing out can i get you know a lot of eyeballs on this story uh, is that going to help you know accelerate my career and I, and I think that's what the reporters unfortunately today are more worried about but then again i don't kind of blame them because the access to these people is so limited compared to to what it used to be um and and, and here's another funny example jake bentley he, one of his best friends lives here in Mount Pleasant. So I, uh, like, I don't know, a couple days, a couple weeks ago, I was out running around uh, the track, and Jake Bentley's out there throwing the football. And he kind of looks at me a couple of times, and, and, and he, he goes, he doesn't know, he, he kind of recognizes me, but he doesn't recognize me. And, and then I finally stop, and I say, it's, it's your worst nightmare. I'm a reporter. <laughs> I used to be a sports, sports writer, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and to his credit, he laughed. And, um, and, and I asked him, you know, yeah, what are you doing? How's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And, and he goes, and we, we kind of talked about it. And, and he was like, he goes, no, I, I didn't think the media was the devil. I, I just thought that a lot of times they took some unfair shots at me. And, they, and, I, and again, he's the quarterback of a, of a, at a major power five conference. So yeah, you're going to be the focus of that. But I, I kind of understand how he feels that, that sometimes but that's it. quarterbacks in general. I mean, that, that's been going on for years and years and years and years. They're always given what, what's that saying? Too much uh, credit and and too much blame. Too much credit when they win, too much blame when they lose. So and I agree with that. But it was fun to have a conversation with him about that because his dad certainly was very media savvy, and 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 I had had uh, many conversations with his dad when he was the head coach at Burns. So a really good window into sort of the transition between you know, from the traditional newspaper way of doing things where you have time to evaluate news judgment and okay, uh, the, the long-term implications of, of, of running with something. And then now here we are to, to where we are today yeah. where any, whenever somebody says something controversial, it's up 
you know, two seconds later. Absolutely. Um, back in 08, I think it was my final couple of months with the Post and Courier. It was before the season. They were playing uh, Alabama in the opener. And uh, it was a few days before the game. We had Vic Coning, who was the defensive coordinator at the time. And uh, always – well, he was he was known for <laughs> – for, uh, uh, saying interesting things, um, popping off. Like I think he's – well, I'm not going to mention this. He said something about one of the defensive backs after the Wake Forest game that year that was pretty bad. But anyway, um, heading into that Alabama game, somebody just asked him a basic question about – the natural question about, oh, what does this mean to recruiting, you know, blah, 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 right. playing the game in Atlanta, or and, and is this going to maybe help you make some inroads in the state of Alabama? Very general question. <laughs> And an easy one to answer. And he goes, well, I don't know. All I know is I was in this insert name of Alabama town here, Julio Jones's uh, hometown. He goes, all I know is I was down there and I see him, Julio, hopping in an Escalade. And then I go to another town and I see, I forgot who the player was, Mark Ingram maybe. I see him hopping into an Escalade. I I don't know. You tell me. And we're like, oh, my God. And so – so that, you know, that's not one-on-one. It's like there's like seven or eight people there. And so at the time, I have a blog for the Post and Courier that, you know, you're I'm updating multiple times a day with thoughts right. or whatever, in right. addition to the normal job of writing stories for the newspaper. So I immediately, I go home 10 minutes away, and I put that sucker up on the blog. Because yeah. it's newsworthy. And so he had, yeah. I think he had texted me maybe a few minutes later to say, you know, I was joking, right? Well, like, first of all, it's just too late. It's already up. Yeah. And second of all, man, you said that in front of multiple people, not just one-on-one. Right. If it's one-on-one, right. you know, and you have a good relationship, then maybe that's an maybe. occasion to be like, hey, man, you really want this to be out there? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. yeah. But he, yeah. he never, I mean, he was... I don't think you ever forgave yeah. me for that. And I'm like, man, you, you're the one who who said it. There are other that. people. What's that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. And, and I think had Willie Simmons said that to a bunch of people, then then probably my my uh, decision would have been different then. Sure. Then, yeah, I probably would have been would have had to do it. And, and, and get, getting back to the scenes of relationships, I, here's something I'll never forget. Uh, back when I was shooting video uh, for, for the Post and Courier, I went onto the field before the Clemson South Carolina game, and I, again, I can't remember what year it was. And uh, CJ Spiller's down there stretching, and I'm kind of shooting a close up of him because we needed something. Somebody was doing a story on him, and they wanted me to shoot a video that would kind of go along with with the story that was going up on the web. And um, I said, just just wanted to let you know that I voted you first place in the Heisman. That's what I said to him. And that's back when I had a, had a vote on the Heisman, and you know he kind of gave not a high five, but you know thank you and shook my hand. And I mean, ten years later, and it might have been longer. He came to Charleston, did a little talk thing. I just I did a brief little story on him, and I, and I walked up to him. I said, "I'm Andrew Bell with the Post and Courier. I pro- you probably don't remember me, but uh, before the South Carolina Clinton, that was where we returned the opening kickoff yeah. for a touchdown." And I said, "You probably don't remember me, but I, I, I was shooting video." And he goes, "And you said that you voted for the Heisman." Wow. And what? I was like, I'm, "He goes, I've never forgotten that because I went and I looked and I saw how many people voted me first in the Heisman, and I think I think it was like." eight or nine and again that, that number could be wrong I mean, it was, and i was like man i just i just want to thank you for that 
because I honestly thought that year that 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 year he was the most valuable player. He was the best player uh, and contributed most to his team over over anybody else. And again, I can't remember who the other guys that I voted for, but I voted number one. But the fact that he remembered that all those years later, I was like, well, I mean, just little things like that, you, you don't realize how how they can have an impact on somebody else. Yeah, that's wild. That, 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 that was amazing, and and yeah, and and good for Clemson to to bring him kind of back into the fold as an assistant coach. I think he's gonna. He, he's just one of those people you can just tell has that character and and, and it's gonna do great things. Are you on earbuds? Andrew, no, you're no. going. You're going in and out, sort of. I don't know what it is. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's sorry. okay. Uh, I voted him first as well, just because he, on the simple premise of he was the best player I saw that year, like for sure. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that was the year that uh, the Georgia Tech game where he made that move on the sideline and just made those guys look silly. I, I, I think that was the the same year. That was a night game too. But yeah, yeah. Well, that was his. Uh, I think that was his. That was 06, his freshman year. But oh nine. Okay. Oh, okay. oh well, yeah. oh, well oh, 09 was I guess this was um well he oh, 09 was when he just went nuts in the ACC championship game um yeah. which yeah. I think was before the Heisman vote I think it was yes it was that was before the Heisman yeah. voting because I remember that was when I decided I'm vo- I'm voting this cat yeah uh Heisman yeah, yeah. uh giving him my Heisman vote um another <laughs> another in- uh instance of relationships uh you know not really uh, at least with me, not really valuing, you know, taking full account of, of, of what a decision can mean. This was, oh man, oh five, I think. Uh, maybe oh six, I think it was oh five. Uh, rumors were rampant that Brad Scott was a candidate at NC State to go be their offensive coordinator. Yeah. And it was one of those things where your confirmation bias is so strong that you take every piece of every every piece of sort of evidence that might indicate it happening you know, it being accurate you magnify and you don't really honor uh, the opposite of it heading the right. other way, of it not being true oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah and you're racing you know you think other people are on it too you know and you're like I got to be first on this and so um I want to say I tried to call him. He didn't answer. And instead of, you know, sending a text, leaving a message saying, hey, man, uh, I, I just I want to check this out. You know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to write something that's inaccurate. Right. Instead of, I just was like, oh, he didn't answer. He's not responding. That must mean it's true. <laughs> that's true. It's I was stupid. gonna say that's confirmation for stupid, you. Yeah. Stupid, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. stupid, just relentlessly stupid logic. And um, I want to say I, I, somebody at NC State confirmed that he was a that that's somebody who Amato was interested in, right? And so I wrote a story. I want to say I worded it kind of creatively enough to maybe give myself an out, right? By writing he's a candidate there, but the headline, the, whoever the headline writer was at the time of the Post and Courier, and I'm not throwing Luke them under the bus. I'm not throwing them under the bus. But they said yeah. Scott. The headline said Scott interested in NC State job, and oh my lord, he was absolutely not because he didn't like Chukamato. He would never have gone there, as I found out later. Right. But he was furious at me. The next time I saw him was after a practice, and he just tore me up. Right. And what I learned then was not only. Um, you know, that if you make a mistake, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get called on the carpet for it. 
But also, coaches have long memories. And, oh, uh, yes, they do. And, man, it took <laughs> years. I finally, I'm like, Coach, I, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Can, have you ever made a mistake? <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. Uh, and finally, you know, you smooth things over. But it just still, a, a stupid thing to do. Absolutely stupid yeah. thing to do. At the, and, you know, but you get better from those experiences. But a great example of how um, even when you're in a, in a pressure of a deadline, sort of competitive situation, being methodical and cautious is still the way to go, not only to preserve relationships, but to preserve your own reputation because <laughs> you don't want to get stuff wrong on a regular basis. Yeah, and, and, and again, I go, I go back to the to the AJ, uh, the Anthony Johnson situation at the College of Charleston where you know, Gene, Gene, my my direct boss, um, is saying, you got to get, get up on the site. You got to get up on the site. And I'm just like, until I hear, hear it from him, then I'm not going to do anything. And, you know, my motto in my, my number one commandment in journalism is get it right. Yeah, I don't do I want to get it first and get it right. Of course I do. But I want to get it right. Uh, Chad Holbrook, getting him when he got hired at the College of Charleston and all the nonsense that, that went on during, during that uh, scenario. Again, prove me again. Yeah, there were other people reporting things in Columbia that were just not true. Mm. And, and uh, I had it. I had it straight from the horse's mouth. I mean, I had a pretty good relationship with Chad and really didn't know him very well, even back then uh, at first. And, and just, you know, getting it right. There's nothing more important than that, getting it right. And people talk about bias or are you objective? I, I, I don't think being objective is as important as, as getting it right. If you get it right, then everything else, the bias, whatever, you know, that that's the objectivity. It doesn't matter. If you get the facts right, you get the facts right. And then no one can dispute it. So you said, so you didn't cover Holbrook when he was at, South Carolina, but yet you still were able to develop enough of a relationship with him for when he got the job at. Well, here, here's the interesting thing. He called me one. So uh, my uh, my nephew played baseball at Clemson, uh, Ryan Huggins, and uh, Chad Holbrook was re- trying to recruit Ryan out of Newberry High School, and so I talked to. I talked to Chad maybe once or twice, you know, over the years. And I'm sure he didn't know who I was, but I guess somebody had told him that I'm in the media and I'm, I'm Brian's nephew, left-handed pitcher for Clemson. Um, And he just called me up one day out of the blue and just said, Hey, uh, I hear you're Ryan's uncle. Can you please, uh, put in a good word for us. So, you know, or, or you know, he, he, I don't know if he, I, that might have been against the NCAA rules right there, but he, just, <laughs> he was talking to me about, uh, he was, he was just talking to me about the benefits of, of, of playing in South Carolina and me being a grad. Of course, I'd love to see him uh, play at South Carolina, but you know, unfortunately Ryan's dad, Michael, who's my brother-in-law, he played at Clemson and that whole family's Clemson fans, except my wife. And I knew there was no way he was going to go to South Carolina, but you know, they, you know, as a left-handed pitcher, six, three, they, they wanted, you know, they want to take a look at him. And so I, I, and that was kind of the first extended conversation. It wasn't even that long. It was probably five minutes, maybe at the most, but I think that was kind of opening the door for, for, for what happened later when he was coming down. And, and, and I think what he wanted to do, cause there was, you know, some contractual things that were going on in South Carolina. And then there was the whole business with what was going on with the college of Charleston coach. And he was getting investigated for physically and, and verbally abusing his players too. So, um, you know, he wanted to kind of, smooth the the way in if he was going to come in because 
you know, he and the AD here are, have been, you know, both played in North Carolina together. They've been good friends forever and ever. So yeah, I, I could see the, the writing on the wall for that one from the, from the beginning. When you talk but about, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say interesting because the other candidate was Scott Foxhall, who now has won a national championship uh, as a pitching coach at Mississippi state. Mm. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area, and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-35. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services, via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you talk about relationship building, it's interesting because, at least in terms of mainly print or, or writers uh, and, and journalism, you know, to, to build relationships, you are, you know, generally requires you to be kind of a people person, yet... I think you'll agree with this. You know, the large majority of, of, of newspaper guys are introverts. Uh, from what I've, or they tend to lean that way, more yeah. cerebral, introverted. Whereas you, certainly extroverted. You think that gives <laughs> you think that gives you has given you an advantage just in connecting with people. Whereas it might be harder, more awkward for you know, kind of a pinhead, uh, more introverted reporter. Uh, and I maybe include myself in this too, to, to sort of, you know, get to know somebody. I, I certainly think it helps. And I certainly think it helps that uh, again, when you don't approach your source for whatever, whatever you're dealing with. And, and here's an example that I'll give you the highest ranking. And I'm going back to, I'm going back to my news experience now that I've had recently, the highest ranking uh, politician in Berkeley County, as far as countywide, is a guy named Johnny Cribb. Johnny Cribb is a guy that I covered when he played high school baseball at Garrett High School, and then at the Citadel, they ended up going to a couple of regional championships. But now he's the county supervisor. And the way that I have been able to uh, write stories, news stories now, about Berkeley County, about things that are going on, is because of that relationship that I had with Johnny Cribb that I built for the last 30 years, just, just by knowing him. And 
I, I go into like, like when I started in news, I went in and I just said, look, I'm a, a sports writer idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. And I think sometimes when you ask these guys, men or women, uh, whoever your sources are for help and you admit that you don't know things and you don't kind of come across as, as the know-it-all end all be all guy. I think sometimes that helps. And, and I might, I, I might downplay my, I might, I might act like I'm stupider than I am, which I think some people would, would disagree with that. I am pretty stupid, but um, I, I try to come at it from, from that perspective. So you don't come at it from a superiority uh, concept, but just as, Hey, I'm your equal or a, I, I need help. And people I found in general want to help you and want to, want to point you in the right direction. Now, do they have an agenda? Do they want to point you in this direction instead of that direction? Sure they do. And you got to figure that out. But being a people person, as you say, I, I think is, as that's been the, the backbone, the fundamentals of my career, my, my whole life, just sitting around talking, about anything, yeah, yeah, and I again, football related, just just helps. And Re- Reggie Herring is an absolute classic example of that. I remember I went into his office one one of those times in between the interviews, and I noticed statistically that they were better at stopping the run on the road as opposed to home. I and I, and I had all these statistics for the last two years pointed out and I, you know, I had written it all down. And so I lay out my theory to him and he looked at me and I can't say what he said <laughs> on the air. <laughs> he basically asked me, had I been smoking crack my whole life? <laughs> and was I out to get him? And was I out there to get him fired? He's screaming at me. He's not saying this in a conversation. He's screaming. And, and a couple of coaches kind of poke their heads in to make sure that he hasn't, hasn't beaten me up. And, and what was great about it was, was after his tirade was over, I go, yeah, but what do you really think? And then he started laughing and then he literally broke down his entire defense and how one cornerback was the problem in their entire defense and that how they had to cover, you know, shift coverage over and kind of protect this kid. Uh, and that was why the other teams are doing what they were doing. Cause other teams had figured that out that this, that this cornerback was the weak link. And then I go, well, why don't you replace him with somebody else in the lineup? And he goes, Oh, look, who's the genius now. Blah, 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 blah. And well, I can't put this kid in there. I can't put this kid in there. I can't put that, you know, and he just goes on and on. And what I, and what was great about it was, I learned the weakness in their defense and then was able to write two or three stories off of kind of what he had told me yeah. off the record, but able to, to kind of put two and two together. One kind of defending him and like, Hey, this is why they're, this is why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and so, yeah, those are the things that they're just gold mines that people might think that, Oh, he's, he's cussing me out. Well, yeah, he is. But at the end of the day, what happened, I ended up getting, getting a lot of information that I normally would have gotten and it ended up, you know, counting for two or three, three, four stories down the end of the year. So uh, I call that a win for me. <laughs> and that's a, the, one of the problems of every press conference now being, being carried on YouTube or whatever oh, is that got, yeah. is uh, or streamed is that you know if a coach you know, if, if Andrew Miller asks a coach about the defense and the and the coach says what well, you know what do you know how and did you know did right. you know this context or what how much studying right. have you done on this and he sort of sort of pops off a little bit it's right. ooh you know coach goes off on on yeah, a reporter on and, and people right. conclude that that coach must hate him or there's something wrong with the relationship. Whereas 
the, the reality is often it's, it's, it's the typical give and take in a relationship. And just right. as, as a reporter can maybe get snarky or something in a, in a, in a, in a column or something like that. Well, a coach can, can stick up for himself too. And, and then they can be perfectly fine at the end of the day, at the end of that day, um, in their o- offline conversations, I guess. But that's the part that people don't really see as they sort of form these these conclusions from a distance. Yeah, and and, and again, I, I can't tell you how many times a coach from that walk from the practice field back to McFadden has come up, put his arm around me, or, hey, you got a second. Um, it's happened dozens of times. Yeah, uh, my favorite thing is I don't read what you write, but I did read this. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. love that one. Someone brought this to my attention. You know what <laughs> I mean? You get one of those, um, and 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 I think I prefer the coach handle it like that instead of you know doing it publicly and kind of public shaming you. But um, again, you don't you just don't get that access anymore, and and and, I, and it hurts both ways. It hurts. Yeah, the coach has got to trust the reporter. Reporter's got to trust the coach. You know, and 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 there's just not enough of that today in today's uh, media market, and it's too bad because some of those relationships that I have with coaches to this day, you know, Monty Lee's a classic example of that. Um, I, I, I I cherish those. I mean, Monty Lee, I, I think he's personally going to get it done. I, I do. I, I'm a believer in him, uh, but but I know that people up there have kind of kind of knocked him around and. Um, yeah, he's one of my favorite people uh, out there to talk about. So do you, were you here in 98 when it came out that West was getting fired and it was like, I guess a few days before the South Carolina game and all all the media were gathered around uh, outside (laughs) the practice fields and Reggie Herring comes out and and starts screaming at you guys saying y'all did this. And then he, he buried his 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 practice gear or something like that yeah i i, I don't I, I i think he did yeah yeah I, I remember some of that but yes i remember him coming out and yelling at us about how we had done this to, to tommy west <laughs> i was like i didn't do anything to tommy west he only won two games that's not my fault and and the other <laughs> thing i remember about that is that brad because brad got fired that same year too um is them meeting out at 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 midfield and they're just swarmed by reporters and then everybody wanted to know what they said to each other. And, and yeah, it had been interesting to find out what they said to each other, but you know, that's, I'm sure they're like, Oh my God, this is our last game. You know, I'm, I'm so happy. Cause I think at some point Tommy West would just relieve that it, it was over. You know what I mean? That yeah. he was just not happy, but just, just relieved that the speculation, and everything w- w- was ended. And one of the things that always annoyed the, the heck out of me about, <clears throat> Lou Holtz was that he'd always say, I inherited a, a one in 21 team. No, you didn't inherit a one in one. You inherited a one in 10 team and then you went 0 and 11. <laughs> and that, that, that's the one that I, and I was not, a, I was not a Lou Holtz fan. And again, I'm a, I'm a, I went to South Carolina. I, I love my university and love, you know, love their program. But he would always say that. And I go, no, 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 you went 0 and 11. Okay. You went 0 and 11. And, you know, uh, I remember one time I asked him, when DeAndre Pinkins, he was their starting quarterback. He'd been hurt. And I think Savelle Newton had a big game. And, and I asked him, I said, I said, what's the status of DeAndre Pinkins? And he said, he's a game cock. And everybody laughed. <laughs> and after laughing, and after the laughing stopped, I went, well, thanks for clearing that up for me. You know? <laughs> and then I got the big stink eye look from Lou Holtz about that. And anyway, yeah. It was, yeah but yeah. Well, supposedly with Herring, so he 
and maybe this is embellished, but this is the story I got was that he, he had a shovel and he took all of his practice gear out and dug a hole out by the practice fields and threw his practice gear in there and put dirt on top of it. Well, then he gets, I guess a few weeks later, he finds out he's been retained by Tommy Bowden, and then he, he goes back and digs it back up. <laughs> Again, maybe that's embellished, but I don't know. It might. It's probably I, accurate. It sounds no, no, the, the way Reggie yeah. Herring was. Absolutely believe it. If it, I could absolutely believe that it was Reggie Herring. And, and again, I, I, I like the guy. I mean, he was very forthcoming and he, he did have a good sense of humor, but uh, yeah, it was nothing, nothing like getting yelled at by Reggie Herring. That was, that's one of those, uh, uh, one of those marks in my career that I, I that I, that I relish. <laughs> so with Dabo, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. And so in a press yeah. conference, when he's irked about something, you're going to know it. With oh, yeah. Bowden, Bowden was a lot more guarded. Mm-hmm. Um, had a had a better poker face. Um, what what was? Did you really get to know him? And you mentioned earlier, you know, you, the other reporters didn't want to make him mad in '03 by asking him uh, if he thought his job was in, in, in danger. Jeopardy, yeah. And, yeah. and so, which it was, <laughs> it was, and yeah, he he came really close to getting fired, but. What was your relationship like and how did, did you have any sort of insight into when he was mad? How did he show it? I never saw him lose his, his temper at, at a reporter or or me or anything like that. Um, How I found my niche with him was that my father was the president of the synagogue back in Greensboro, North Carolina. And he read something that I'd written about Coach Bowden, about you know how Christianity and, and faith was a huge part of his his you know personal philosophy and how he read the Bible and all this other stuff. So my dad, who was a professor um, at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, uh, a physics and chemistry and blah blah, blah professor asked me to ask him something about, but basically this is what he wanted me to ask him. Uh, with all the three major religions, somebody's got to be wrong. That's basically, <laughs> he said, ask him that. Just ask him, somebody's wrong, who's wrong, and why are they wrong, right? So, I, I and I forget how it came up, um, but he... I asked him that and he, and he said, well, that's very, that's a very interesting question. And he launched into something that was about 10 minutes uh, long about Christianity and Jesus and 2 billion people can't be wrong and blah, 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 blah. And then he gave me this book and I, it was written by a journalist and I can't remember the name of it, but it was like how I discovered my faith or something like that. He goes, Hey, read this. So I read the book and Every so often he'd ask me, did you read the book? Did you read the book? Did you read the book? Oh, over the next, you know, coming weeks or whatever. And when I finished it, I was like, yeah, I, I read it. And he goes, okay. And now I know, want to know what you think about it. So we debated, uh, we, we debated religion and I came up in a, not a strict Jewish household. I'm not Jewish. Um, but that, that would be an exaggeration. But again, my dad, uh, was, you know, head of the synagogue, you know, found religion again late in his life after growing up in a very you know conservative Jewish household, and that's kind of how we made that connection. So we would talk about <clears throat> religion and philosophy of religion and things like that, and that's what really opened the door. And I will, you know, when I had as I was that last year before before you came on board, um, 
you know, people might forget that season. So they get beat by Wake Forest. And I think they had an open date, if I'm not mistaken. And then they take on Florida State, number three ranked in the country. They beat Florida State. They beat, I think, a very good Duke team uh, that year. And then they crushed, you know, South Carolina at, at at Williams Bryce and then beat Tennessee. And I remember going up to him and he got, he got named the ACC coach of the year. <clears throat> I had a, I had a one-on-one interview with him again. And I asked him, you know, how satisfying was it beating Florida state after, you know, what you had been through the week before, you know, two weeks before, whatever, whatever, um, at Lake Forest. And he goes, and Terry Don Phillips was the athletic director. And he said, and I'll never forget this. And I didn't put it in the story because he asked me not to. He goes, the most satisfying moment for me was walking after I, after we'd beaten, um, uh, Florida state, I started walking back to, to go to wherever he was to the locker room, whatever. And I saw Terry Don Phillips and he had this look on his face, like, what the heck am I going to do now? Wow. Because I just won this game, and I was like, and, and he said the um, the the feeling of satisfaction I had, and then then what they did the rest of the year um, was just, you know, he just said it was just, it was just so satisfying that everything that I had been wanting to do, been trying to do, it was kind of coming to fruition. All you know, all the hard work that I've been doing. And remember, he he got named the coach of the year, and and they were renegotiating his contract. And he said, it's the only time, this is what he said, it's the only time in, in really his coaching career where he really stuck it to the guy doing the negotiating. He goes, no, I'm not. I'm going to go someplace else. And you know, i just been named coach of the year. I'm going to go someplace else if I don't get X, Y, and Z in my contract. And 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 he got it. And he got everything he asked for. So Interesting how that's really sort of sheds light on more of an adversarial type of relationship. Oh. between coach and AD, whereas... And D'Antoni was a part of that uh, as well. I know there was some animosity there. Who's that? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, D'Antoni. Billy DeAndre? Yeah, DeAndre. That's, I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Tommy just did it differently. He was more he of a keep to yourself. He's, He's not a salesman. I mean, Dabo, yeah. you know, what they have built... Uh, under Dabo, you know, facilities wise and all that stuff, the commitment, you know, a lot of that is of course the result of just a decision to, you know, commit more to football, all in. but it, but also Dabo sold them on a lot. I mean, he, he, this is a, mostly a product of his vision that he uh, you know, had his hat in his hand and went to the board of trustees right when he got hired. And so, now there's, those are things Tommy never really, he was just not that type of person to do that. I don't right, think. right, right, right. He so, just thought it should have been done, I think. You know? Right. Yeah. He, he's like, you guys should see that this is how we should do it, and you're not doing it. And I, I think that's kind of how Tommy was. Again, I, I, I think he was more of a CEO. I, I don't think that he had great personal relationships like Dabo does with, with, with his players. Not to say that he wasn't close with them. Not to say that he, he he's, he's just a different kind of kind of cat. That's just how I would describe him. Um, not in a bad way or in a good way. He's just different. And uh, and Davos certainly his approach has been hugely successful. So let's get into your move from sports to, to news. <laughs> how, how did that happen? Why did that happen? And when did it happen? Well, COVID obviously cut cut out sports. Um, the the uh, transition that that most papers are making um, 
away from the print product to the online product um, means that you have to shift your focus on what you're doing. And uh, in within the current business model of, I don't, I don't know if you can call them a newspaper anymore, but uh, media organizations like the one I work for, it is that there, there's there's some things that there's there's this term, you know, getting people to uh, to read your story and then put their you know hand in their wallet and start paying for that content that you're providing them. Um, that's the key right now. And so sports doesn't get a lot of people to transition from reading your story to um, buying the subscription on a monthly, on a month to month basis. So they eliminated two in, in August. They eliminated this past August in 2020, they eliminated two positions in sports. Mine was one of them and they moved me to news. Uh, so yeah, that was a shock after 31 years as a sports writer. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a shock. And, and the, the interesting thing about it was, is that I kind of knew that I needed a kick in the butt. I knew that I needed to get outside of my comfort zone. I didn't know that this was how I would do it or that I would, you know, I wasn't too happy about it, obviously in the beginning, because I, you know, I loved, I don't know about you, Larry. I, you know, when I was in, you know, again, sports, I started when I was 16 years old, the Greensboro Daily News being a clerk. I've been doing it for 40 years. Yeah, maybe, maybe five days, maybe five days a year, probably not even that many. I would get up and go, oh, man, I got to go to work. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh, I got to go to work. The other 250 days, I was like, I can't wait to get to work. You know what I mean? I can't wait to get out there because it was something different, something new. I, I absolutely loved what I did. I loved it. I still love it for you know 30 years, 31 years. So to, to make that transition to news has has been, you know, it was like, it felt like I was starting over. And, and again, I knew I needed, I'd, I'd gotten a little stale. Uh, I needed to expand my, uh, my repertoire and my skill set. And I think this has really helped me help, help me do that. So I've, I've tried to look at the positive. It has not always been positive for me. There've been times when I was very down. I, you know me, I'm a pretty happy person. Most of the time there was, I think there was a time when I was, you know, got a little depressed um, because I did not know if this is what I want. And I still don't know if this is what I, exactly what I want to do for the rest of my career. I, I would love to go back to sports, but it has opened up a new avenue for me. I have uh, expanded my list of sources and contacts. Uh, it's been fun learning uh, and writing about different things, um, government-wise, people-wise. Um, that's all been that's all been been positive. But do I miss Friday nights, high school Friday? football Friday nights. Yes. I mean, there were, there were days, you know, back, you know, two years ago when I remember the stingrays and this is kind of a silly thing, but they were in, involved in a playoff series and there's nothing better to be than playoff hockey. Um, and I would, I couldn't sleep the night before one of the games, I think it was a game seven because the series had been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was just so excited to get to the rink to get and, and write about, you know, what, what happened in game seven. And that's, I think even at my age, you know, mid fifties, been at it a while. When you can still feel like that, you're, you know, you're doing the right thing. And and it's stupid saying, find a job you love, you never work a day in your life. And that's that's the way I, I felt for thirty one years, and, and and still now. I mean, I still enjoy what I'm doing, but just probably not as much as what I was doing before. The last high school football Friday night game I covered was in two thousand three when I was still in the in Augusta, the Augusta paper. 
I don't miss that a bit. <laughs> and yet, and yet you would rather be, you would rather be covering a high school football game on a Friday night than at home grilling a steak, uh, drinking a beer that you, you really enjoy it that much. I, I, I do. And I, I, I miss that part of it. And it, again, that's only for three months, two or three months out of the year. Now my wife, I'm sure loves it that I have normal hours and I'm off on weekends and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, just going to, to games and, and seeing, the, the young, you know, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, Carlos Dunlap, who, you know, Carlos mm-hmm. Dunlap and, and the decarry on joiner, you know, the, the, the Joe Hamilton's finished second in the Heisman trophy, Courtney Brown, first overall pick of the, in the NFL draft to go and see those guys as kids, Chris Middleton, another example of that a guy now playing for the bucks, you know, to go and see those kids do those things, it's, I don't know. It's just something about it. You know, somebody said, Oh, you, I'd never go back and cover high schools. I'd go back and cover high schools in a second. I mm-hmm. would because the kids and the coaches still appreciate you and what you do. And they're happy to see you. And, and, and for the most part, I think that's true at the college level too, but it's, it's becoming a, a little jaded now, a little more jaded than it, than it used to be. So, uh, but no, I, 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 I love that stuff. I, I do. And, and to say, you know, we always joke who discovered who, you know, like yeah. being Phil Bowman. Yeah. Who discovered who? And, you know, AJ green, one of those guys that, that he got to watch uh, coming up. And, and what's funny is, is I, I, I did the top 10 players in South Carolina high school football history. And I had uh, Davion Clowney and Stephen Davis tied, I think, as Steve Davis, I just, people forget how great he was at Spartanburg high school. And, and then not that Javen, he was equally awesome, you know, at, at South point, but you know, I just think about those, those games and those things that I've seen. And I just, yeah, that, that that's how I started in the business. And there's a part of me that, that will always love those things. And you can still, the, the walls aren't there and you can still get right. to know right. the people you're covering. So there's definitely something to be said for that. You mentioned, um, at the Post and Courier with sports, it's harder to get people to to actually, uh, you know, put their credit card information in and sign up right. a uh, subscription. Do you think that's because of, well, websites like mine and Gamecock Central and others, uh, which fans, large numbers of fans are have been subscribing to for years and have sort of a lot of brand loyalty to? Is that kind of a, is that what you chalk that up to, to an extent? that it's already sort of saturated with subscription based uh, sports sites, particularly at Clemson and South Carolina. I, I think that's absolutely, I think that's a, I think that's a big part of it um, that they, from the very beginning, they made subscribers pay for their content. And you and I went well, back when you wrote for the post of Curry, you and I would discuss this. Um, they started it. It's like, why are people willing to pay for high school football recruiting? Because they've been doing that almost from the very beginning. So they're, they're used to doing that. Right. And there is that competition that that's already out there for Clemson and South Carolina football coverage or, or just, just coverage in general. So, uh, and, and y'all's website and all the websites have done a really good job of covering that. So that's where people are going. And, and well, the interesting byproduct of this is that sports information people aren't necessarily interested in helping you, us, the media do our jobs as much as they used to, because they're trying to generate their own content as well and, and get eyeballs and clicks on, on their websites as well. Um, 
and and that kind of makes an interesting dichotomy between the media and then the sports information media, sports information media, who are trying to help us do our quote unquote trying to help us do our jobs. Um, so I think that's all kind of a, a byproduct of everything that's happened. And and again, the sites like yours and the rival sites and the game uh, the on the Gamecock Central they started it by making the people, hey, you want to subscribe to us, you got to pay, and this is what we're going to give you. So uh, I think that's that's definitely a part of it. And I think the newspaper industry, unfortunately, was a little slow to react to that. Well, and slow to listen. Embrace it. To, yeah. Well, slow to listen to the desires of their customers. Yeah. That's the yeah. most yeah. fatal flaw to me because I have yeah. said for years, had newspapers – actually been cognizant of the interest of their of their subscribers there'd be no rivals you know right, <laughs> because right. you know, back then and even when i was at the post and courier you know the the the, the sort of the, the routine is okay you're a clemson beat writer or gamecock beat writer writes one story a day and you don't cover recruiting at all and once a week we run a uh, a recruiting column by Phil Cornblut, who, yeah, who's absolutely an institution in the state of South Carolina, no question. Absolutely. But that approach, running running one thing on a Sunday, that's just a collection of things that Cornblut has picked up during the week, that's way antiquated, you know. Yeah, and, and and you know, here here came rivals in the early two thousands. You know, they say, oh, we're going to give you more than just one story a day. We're also going to give you recruiting uh, coverage. And we're also going to give you a place where you're, you, know, you can congregate and, 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 and converse with each other on a message board, you know. <laughs> which, I mean, which is good and bad. It is, yeah. <laughs> it is. But I was telling somebody, uh, I forgot who, who in, a, in a podcast a few months ago. And I remember in, I don't know, somewhere around 04, 05, I'm in a press box and obviously working for the post and courier at the time. And I have tiger illustrated up the message board up on my computer. And one of the writers walks by and goes, you read message boards. Ugh. Like, you know, he couldn't fathom the thought of, of actually paying some attention to what, what the fans are saying. Right. And, and now here we are. And I mean, Twitter is a message board basically. And, and that's what it is, you know, pretty much everybody, <laughs> Is on that pool of hate. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, everyone, every news organization has has embraced and incorporated the ability to have people commenting on their on their on their content. And so, had newspapers been more ahead of the curve, they would have really um, been able to thrive. I think. So anyway, really, really kind of sad. It is. It is because, you know, you think about how long the postal security has been around, I think what, 1803, I think that's when it was founded. And, and, and for as long as my wife worked there, they, they never lost, you know, had a losing quarter. I mean, that's not right. A losing year. I mean, they never lost money. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you know, I know I'm in a dying business and it it is kind of sad because it's been my life again for 40 years. So I've, you know, I've loved it. I consider myself a newspaper guy. So uh, yeah, it has been sad to to see these, the slowness with which that we have made the transition to where we are now, which we should have done 10 years ago. But the one, uh, one of the great things the Post and Courier has going for it, it, it's family owned, which means it's, it's, it's sort of, 
resistant to some of the typical things, like the corporate uh, stockholder type, you know, massive cuts, layoffs, right. and all this sort of the cold right. hard realities of 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 so, stock owned, you know, uh, the right. corporate yeah. uh, and 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 then also, I think there's a, still a lot of brand loyalty toward the Post and Courier from people in Charleston, it, more so than I detect in Greenville toward the Greenville News or in Columbia toward the state. Is that right? Is that a good summation? I I, I would agree with that. Um, There is some of that. Obviously, there is some of that corporate stuff that goes on even at at this level, but even in a family-owned newspaper. But but no, I think the brand name, um, you know, obviously winning a Pulitzer Prize in, what, 2015 certainly didn't hurt us either. Um, You know, Mitch Pugh for for I think has done a lot of things that have brought us into a lot of good things that have brought us into the, into the 21st century. Is that the executive um, editor? Yeah. yeah executive yeah. editor. Sorry. Yeah. Executive editor here. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think they're one of the reasons that we're able to push into markets in Myrtle beach and Columbia in Greenville, like we're trying to do now is because people recognize the brand. And that's, that's certainly helped us with, with this expansion that we've undertaken over the last year to 18 months. So you're the, you cover business in Berkeley County, what, and, and Somerville. And yeah. Somerville. Who are you yeah. competing with? Yeah, that, 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 probably not many people. I mean, there's a Charleston Business Journal down here, um, TV stations from time to time, but really, there's not a, not a ton of competition down there. Basically, because we own all the Berkeley Independent, the Somerville Journal, Scene, the Goose Creek Gazette, you know, we own all those papers. It, it was like back in the day, if we couldn't compete with you, if we didn't want to compete with you, we just bought you out. Uh, and that's that was the power of the Post and Courier, at least in in this area, the Tri County area, uh, that they had. If we didn't, yeah, if we didn't like you, you know, come, you know, didn't like us, come join us because you're not going to have a choice. And uh, and it's it's all kind of all family owned, and and it has insulated us from a lot of the stuff that is that has gone on, uh, good good and bad, um, uh, from a lot of stuff that's gone on within the industry. But yeah, there's really not a a, a ton of competition. Um, which makes it a little bit easier to write some of the stories and be a little more thoughtful in in what you're going to write and what you're going to do. Anything we haven't covered that's uh, at the top of mind? Did I, did I miss no, anything? Man. That's good, man. I I hope I didn't bore you. No, it's great stuff. Uh, which which is what I what I thought would happen. So I appreciate we appreciate you uh, joining us. Thank you for your time, and man, best of luck to you on the in in the in the real world. I guess I mean uh, the toy yeah. department. I think the sports department is still the toy department. Safe to say. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks for having me, Larry. All right. Appreciate Andrew sharing his time with us. Great stuff. Also appreciate the support of our six very loyal sponsors. Most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play every week. Everyone have a great weekend. We'll be back next week as we ramp up to football season. Cheers.